It's finally here. Welcome to Do It With Dan, entrepreneurial philanthropist, public speaker and author, creator of the Beyond Intention Paradigm. Here is your host, Daniel Mengena. Hello, dreamers. <laughs> if you guys had ever heard the last three minutes, you would wonder if I still had my nugget working. My nugget does work. It's been hilarious. <laughs> Kelly and I were just like working out what we're doing and realized that I'd actually had the wrong end of the stick. She had the right end of the stick. It was probably looking at me like I'm a madman, but my madness is okay because we're here and everything's lovely. Kelly, 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 why don't you say hello? Hello, everyone. <laughs> Kelly, when you, when you come into a space that is that has got confusion in it what's the first thing that you look to do in order to to release the the tension in that oh the first thing i would do daniel is i would breathe Uh, (laughs) my breath is the very first uh, thing i do when i look to ground myself in any type of high state of emotion whether it's confusion whether it's anxiety stress overwhelm grief all of those so i would connect with my breath reason why I say that is because a big part of what you do is around not work-life balance, but life-work balance. And I can say from personal experience that a lot of the time when we are looking to reset boundaries, which I think is probably going to be part and parcel we're going to talk about today, when we're looking to, to reset boundaries, that often involves ten, tense conversations with people who are going to be affected by those boundaries or even tension within ourselves approaching this. So for example, with me, we've got rule at home that by six o'clock I must not be working, but sometimes there's something that wants to drag to 10 past six and just after six. And that tension within me impacts sometimes even my ability to, to focus for the rest of the day because I'm thinking about that thing or we're getting to the time and then there's tension in the home because I haven't honored the time. When people are coming into this space of creating new dynamics, what are some supportive tips that you can give them? Well, I would say putting, you know, self-care um, first and foremost, and, and that mm. is my tendency in the past working in a very high stress, fast paced environment. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, all of us dealing with uh, much of the life challenges we face today is to really, again, center ourselves in taking the time that we need to step away uh, mm-hmm. and get the self-care in that moment. But more importantly, uh, what is going to foster steadiness for us is, is the, the uh, regular practice that we've already established in self-care. And mm-hmm. I would say, you know, again, when it comes to uh, establishing boundaries, the very first is, you know, around the the care that you give to yourself. Mm. Okay, we've jumped straight into it. Um, I want to take a quick backtrack. And people are thinking, who is this human that he is talking with about boundaries, self-care and time? Well, we have Kelly Arnold. Kelly, why don't you tell the people a little bit more about you? And then I want to dig into some details about how we become person A and then person B over who's on a mission to actually flip the script on this whole idea of balance where work and life come in. So who are you? Well, uh, again, I, I am Kelly Arnold and I um, first and foremost live in the beautiful state of uh, Colorado. It has got Yay. beautiful season uh, and climate and again, this natural beauty. Um mm-hmm. 
ground ourselves in, you know, nature. So very grateful to be here. And I'm married to my uh, husband, Jason, of 20 years. I am mom to uh, my only son, uh, Joe, who's a tween here heading into mm-hmm. Uh, teenage years. Uh, I have a communications degree or degree in communications. And I'm also currently a director for a telecom company. Mm -hmm. um, I've spent 20 years in risk management. That is, you know, kind of the general space of of my career. It's come in a variety of forms, but effectively what I have done most of my career is to help others navigate very sensitive uh, and complex matters. And I'll tell you, it's not for the faint at heart <laughs> dealing with people's livelihoods, right? Whether it's an individual person's livelihood or whether it's the livelihood of a given company, mm-hmm. um, so it's very stressful work. Uh, and it is easy to burn out in, in that type of field. And that happened to me, uh, mm-hmm years ago. And and when that happened, um, I leaned into the non-secular system of yoga uh, Mm -hmm. to help me find uh, healing. And, you know, we can talk, you know, in a bit about, you know, what, you know, those kind of techniques and practices are. Um, But because I leaned into that wisdom tradition, um, I found healing and then so inspired and grateful for that, I, I wanted to teach others. And so, I certified as a meditation instructor and mm-hmm. in a specific technique called uh, primordial sound meditation. And then yeah, I primordial sound. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's much mm-hmm. uh, transcendental meditation. It's got that same concept where, you know, you're using a mantra, uh, repeating that silently, silently to yourself to help anchor you uh, mm-hmm. in the moment, but as well as to help you transcend thoughts. And so it is a beautiful, beautiful technique. Um, but because of that, you know, again, my, my experience and my own practice, then I did, um, I was, I founded, uh, Meta Inc, uh, with the idea of helping organizations restore health and vitality through its most important asset, um, Mm -hmm. its people. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So we're actually connected by my good friend, Patrick. Um, yes. I actually met him by being on his podcast. And then I had him on my podcast and now we always find ourselves in clubhouse rooms. He's a really, really cool guy. Um, and he, he spoke about his work uh, as a front, a first, first line responder. Is it what they call first? You've got first, it. Yes. First, line responder. first responder. Mm-hmm. First responders. And, you know, his mission to support them through mindfulness and gratitude and other practices. <laughs> Do you find that it was, um, let me put this another way. Do you think that you would have had your calling to do what you do now had you not been through what you've been through yourself? No, I I don't. (laughs) Yeah, how about you? I mean, I know you have been through your amount of, of struggles, you know, some of them, you know, seemed quite, uh, quite, uh, you know, big as mine was, um, mm-hmm. you know, find yourself in, in this space had you not been through that, you know. It was really funny. I believe in infinite possibility, Kelly. Me too. And, um, and that's a great idea, but when we bring it into practice, sometimes things get lost. I'll give you an example. I, I wanted to write an email to a teacher of mine. This is a couple of years ago. And I wanted to say I couldn't have done this without you, but I could have done it without him. 
And then yesterday I was on with a, uh, uh, someone who's in one of my programs. She's a, she's a friend to too. And we were talking and she just wanted to express some gratitude. She just had a bit of a financial miracle that showed up for her. She's like, thank you so much for your work. I don't think we would have survived this COVID time without your work. And I was like, you could have done because of infinite possibility. But I just find it fascinating. People who have been through an experience in order to come to a place where they've got something to give to the world. The, the dark times that we go through, did it need to happen that way? <laughs> It's a good question, Dan. <laughs> I would say almost yes. You know, I'm of the, of the mind that we are presented with obstacles and challenges mm-hmm. um, you know, for a certain reason. It's part of our soul's path and journey. Mm-hmm. Um, some might be as pre- believe as predefined. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, um, then I also believe in synchronicity, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, again, these happen, you know, uh, again, in front of us uh, by way of meaningful coincidence. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps they are meant to occur uh, to take us to that next level of growth. I always love when I can have a conversation with someone around a bit more of the magic, right? Yes. Go down the, the magic. Because... It, there, there is, there is magic that's completely out there, right? It's like there's no grounding, there's no substance to it, and you know it's magic. That's what it's there to do. And there's magic like the work that you do with 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 your with your mission and your your purpose here, where the magic's actually doing something. It's actually got some intention. It's got some some substance to it. And again, I'm not crapping on the more ethereal side of magic. But when we can have a conversation about taking magic and making it something that has something real, it makes these conversations about the more magic side of magic all the more interesting because I know that you've got some grounding. We're not going to get lost off with the ancestors. There's going to be something to it. And so I, I would, with your permission, love to explore this idea of soul purpose and even obstacles and and how this leads to, and there's a reason why, how this leads to what we, we find ourselves called to do. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. It's something <laughs> I love to talk about as well. Yes. So want to check how far down the rabbit hole we're going, you know, because... <laughs> I love rabbit holes too. That's the nature of my my world is rabbit holes. Beautiful, because some people can get weirded out by the conversation. Um, yeah. So there's a, I think it's Dolores Cannon, Dolores Cannon that really got into like the life between lives. And she did the quantum hypnosis where people were looking at more this soul level of experience, right? When people are, for example, finding themselves called to do something that does pull them out of balance. Because so for example, with me, I get into trouble with Olga all the time about this because I could I could work a lot longer <laughs> than mm-hmm. I do. She's like, don't you want to spend time with the family? I do, but I'm like, this doesn't feel like work to me. I'm really excited. Like, where do we draw the line on that being an excuse for, for example, being a workaholic? Uh, we do see, for example, people that go out there and are of service, but really there's an egoic line to it. Like, where do we draw the line between something that feels like a soul's calling and us just really making an excuse to do something that may even be harming us and causing us to burn out? I think it's a good question and and (laughs) one with multiple answers. But my general sense is that, you know, we're we're grounded in the presence of the moment and the the intuition that we have behind it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, again, that has to do in my mind with, with, you know, being in a steady state of being. And so mm-hmm. I happened in the last couple of weeks where I got so caught up in the chatter in my mind because of the given situation. And I began to overthink it. And then my, ba- I lost my boundaries. And mm-hmm. so I stopped, you know, my rituals at the beginning of the day in terms of my self practice of mindfulness and meditation and yoga and then the ones at the end of my day and so I, I lost that and so I would say again it, it comes in part to kind of staying grounded in your being and in your your intention of, of what you're looking to do and and taking a holistic view because again and I just got coached on this recently myself is that you know you are not as a good and effective to others if if you don't create boundaries on whether it's your work, you know, what you feel your soul calling is, or whether it's a job. Uh, so again, staying grounded in that way is, is how I'm inspired to answer that. So looking at bringing this back then to life and work, work and life. But I'm, so for example, my situation, my work doesn't feel like work. I've got businesses that kind of take care of themselves. But the thing I spend the most time on is my mission led stuff. And it doesn't feel like work. So it, it, it gets harder for me to create those boundaries because I'm so ecstatically excited about what I'm doing. Do you think that sometimes we can actually end up burning ourselves out with something good or do we only burn Absolutely. ourselves out with something bad? Well, I think that to your point, I mean, if it is something that and is truly a passion and it doesn't feel like work to us. I, I don't know that we would achieve that state of burnout per se, but what you are um, risking is that family time, you know, and the, the other kind of personal things that you like to do that you need to do to be able to kind of rejuvenate your soul and your spirit to do your life passion, if that makes sense. So while it may not feel like a burnout in, in doing what you do, you are sacrificing time with your family. You are sacrificing perhaps time that you need to take care of yourself to do things you enjoy, enjoy to be with other people you enjoy. So we could say that they almost different classes of burnout. There's like the physical burnout, but then there's also an emotional burnout from not being filled up. Absolutely. Yes. So, and, and this two is are related, this, Daniel, I would say. And, the two are related. And, that's the, and that's the balance, balancing out having being full exerting ourselves and and having the experience but not being swallowed whole by it and i suppose this is where practices such as and i want to ask about non-secular non-secular yoga because i remember seeing that on your website i i'm kundalini yoga myself so maybe you can give like the 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 newbies to this term (laughs) like me a little bit of insight into what non-secular yoga is all about I'd love to. So I think there's some misconceptions here, especially in the West, about what yoga is. And so, again, I think um, first and foremost, uh, it, it is a belief that yoga it, the yoga is based in some sort of religion like Hinduism or Buddhism or even Islam. And it's not. It's actually based in an ancient wisdom tradition that predates those uh, religious systems. And it's called Vedanta. And that is, again, one of the biggest misconceptions is that I have to change my religion in order to practice any of these. And and the, the beauty of it is you don't. 
Um, and the second uh, misconception I think we have is that yoga is what we know it here in the West just to be that physical movement, you know, where people are getting into these contorted poses and, you know, that type of thing. And while that portion of yoga, which is referred to as asana, is part of the greater system of yoga, it is only one component. So the system of yoga uh, contains eight branches. Uh, it's almost, you know, like a tree. There are various branches of the tree. The asana or movement portion is one. Um, breathing or pranayama is another uh, part of yoga. Um, meditation, you know, seeking silence within is yet another branch. Uh, and focused attention are, you know, others that are part of these branches. And there are several others. But the beauty, I think, of yoga, the system of yoga, is that you can take bits and pieces of that system, apply it to your needs and wants without, one, adopting a new religion, and two, having to, you know, adopt all of this stuff uh, to get to to gain any benefit from doing it. So it's almost an invitation to take the beauty and not allow the beauty to get lost in the preconceived notions and ideas about what containers have existed over a couple of thousand years have got to say about something. So, for example, I was raised in a very conservative, strictly conservative Christian home. Um, there wasn't meditation and yoga going on in my house under my mum's roof. None of that devil's work, right? Mine either. Mine <laughs> <Yeah. either. laughs> so it's like being able to let go of these ideas about, oh my God, it's this. And for example, there is, there is with Kundalini yoga, it's very deeply steeped in Sikh tradition. Mm -hmm. And there are some that will run around with the turban and they, they go all out with it. And people like me, they're like, hey, okay, you know, I get my stuff done, you know, <laughs> do my Kriya, <laughs> little chanting, some breath work, but not necessarily going to go and start celebrating Diwali, for example. There's like a the, accessing the benefit without getting lost in the stories. Am I Absolutely. Honest? Yes. I, I think you've got it spot on. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, uh, and how, how, how can this support then, right? You know, Vedanta, what does it really have to teach us about how we can maintain this balance with our life, with our work, with our purpose? Well, so the, what, what I've done with it and, and in how I've incorporated it into my practice is I have this belief that I had to, to do a lot of it um, before I would gain any benefit from it. And so what I've done is to um, incorporate those bits and pieces and those techniques and that wisdom in, in my busy, hectic life. And so, again, and that is distilling it into, uh, you know, snippets of practice that are easily digestible in very busy days. And so creating a concept of what I refer to as daily M&Ms, where, you know, again, you can take just, uh, you know, one to two minutes uh, of breath exercise or, you know, uh, several minutes of maybe yoga and stretching. And then, you know, again, build a practice that is going to benefit benefit to you, even though it doesn't, you're not sitting down for an hour uh, at a time doing it, if that makes sense. Mm, I want to, I want to come to that thing of time too, because I, with a newborn, my, my time in practice hasn't been as regular or as, or as, as, as extreme as it's been in the past because you know i've been known uh, there was a, for many years i got i got to gap at sort of three thirty, four o'clock in the morning and i'd have 
you know, an hour meditation. I'd go and get some career done and I'd do some breath work. I'd do some studying, like this whole two hours. I've been known to have like a three hour thing in the morning or whatever. Now that doesn't happen. <laughs> that's, that's not happening now. But then I remember when we, um, my wife and I went up to, um, to Mount Shasta and we went to the, the I Am Institute, the St. Jerome, I think the guy's name is. And they've got a rule there that you're not allowed to meditate in their meditation room for more than 15 minutes. And they've got this whole thing that basically is like meditationary gluttony if you're doing anything for more than 15 <laughs> minutes, basically. And then I think, well, what about people that go on a Vipassana for 10 days in a, in a meditative state for 10 days? So there are these different ideas you know, there are some people that they'll just do like little micro meditations of five minutes here, five minutes there, whatever. Like, what's been your experience with this idea of how much time we actually need to integrate into our days, into our life in order to really get the benefits of this stuff? Well, I, I've been there with you as well, you know. So, again, there are periods, you know, we ebbs and flows where... Mm-hmm. Again, there are times where I have the luxury and the benefit of uh, ex- an extended practice, if you will. And then there mm-hmm. are times where, you know, for example, seven <laughs> years ago or several years ago, I went on a silence retreat and mm-hmm. was a full seven days of, you know, silence and, and meditation and really an immersion into that. Um mm-hmm say that those extended periods and, you know, the micro self-care or the Mm. micro practice, there's place for them both. Uh, Mm. And not an either or uh, situation. It is, you know, uh, just adjusting to the flow of your life as it changes. And so Mm. you mentioned you're in a period now where (laughs) you're born, it's unpredictable. You're on that (laughs) baby schedule, which doesn't allow for this extended period. And that's where I would invite you to look into a micro practice and that, Mm -hmm. you know, taking these opportunities. And I talk a lot about this when I teach that there are opportunities in our days that we don't seize because we don't see them as opportunities. It could be as simple as the time that I take to fill up my water bottle at Mm -hmm. the gives me enough to get two or three breaths in. Uh, whereas otherwise I would just sit there ruminate about what I, what was going on. I, I use that one to two, you know, one to two breaths to ground me. So, you know, I don't think it's an any or, or, and I think it's something that can change given your circumstances. Mm, yummy, yummy. And then you've just called something else that I, I, I want to use as the the, the tangent back into talking a bit more about your work and that's breath because I think breath work has got a lot more sexy in the public eye over the last couple of years like somatic breathing I think they talk about and people activating the DMT I think with the popularity of a lot of these things like even plant medicines got more popular um, I mean when I first had of ayahuasca years ago I'd, I'd never heard of it before and now everybody's got a shaman and on their 10th journey or whatever via Wesker, you know, what, what are your thoughts on some gentle practices that we could start to bring into our life or, and even some guidance on those who may be a bit more veteran on, on the breathwork journey and something that you find in terms of, you know, creating this life work balance that can be supportive. 
Yes. So there are some basic, you know, breathing techniques that I lean in and that I, I teach to others. And, you know, the, the first is, again, just noticing and connecting with your breath. I mean, it, it is something that is happening kind of behind the scenes. We don't pay attention to it because it's automatic. Right. Um, but even just getting into the habit of connecting with your breath and just noticing what your breath is doing at any given time, particularly when you're under stress uh, and then you can notice when you when you come get familiar with your breath and what it does at certain times you'll realize that under stress your breathing becomes more rapid because we've triggered the fight or flight response and so again just getting in tune first and foremost with your breath even if it's just once a day to say what is my breathing doing right now and if I am in a state of stress then taking it to the next level and again a very basic breathing technique is what is called the length and breath. And it is just simply, again, centering, observing your breath, uh, inhaling to a mental count of whatever, whether it's three or six or whatever, and then exhaling double that count and just doing it a couple times. It, it is a very basic technique. And then those that are more veteran um, would, you know, move into some more, um, you know, uh, some more breathing techniques. Like there's something known as the Ujjayi breath. And this I is- I want to hear about that one. I want to hear about yes. that one. <laughs> yes. So this one is a wonderful one. And again, it starts with getting brown, grounded in your breath, you know, settling yourself for a moment. Uh, and then we breathe to the point that we, um, it's almost like I, and this is how I explain it. I have glasses. And, and if you know anybody that does, um, sometimes the way that we clean them is we um, make this noise where we expel the breath onto the lens. <sighs> That's right. And so what you're trying to do with the, the Ujjayi breath is you're trying to mimic that throat constriction that you feel when making that, but with your mouth closed. And so again, you're going to take an inhale and then you're going to exhale with your lips closed and try to make that same noise. I'm going to show you what that looks like. Inhale. Can you hear that? So it's coming out of the nose, but you're but you're constricting the throat as if you were That's right. That's right. And if and it's it is one that is a little more you have to practice to get used to that feeling in your throat. Mm-hmm. Once you get the exhale down with that constriction, you want to mirror that that constriction on your inhale as well. So the constriction will come with the inhale and the exhale once you get skilled in it. And the reason why this one is such a wonderful cleansing breath is, is because it triggers, um, you know, our, uh, our system in a way that again, it, it provides greater healing, um, for, wow. so again, more of an advanced, uh, technique there. Uh, and there's one other that I'll share with you. Have you heard of alternate nostril breathing? Um, that's right. 
That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, I've done that one. That is a great one too. And that is mm-hmm. a very much a, a balancing breath because that looks to balance both the left and the right hemispheres of our brain, which one is dominated by, you know, our male tendencies and the other is de- dominated by our female tendencies. So when you find your state, when I find my state in going into a state of imbalance, I lean into Ujjayi and I lean into uh, the alternate nostril breath. Click, click, click. Well, you, you, you heard it here first, guys. You can't see because they're not going to see us. <laughs> they're just going to hear us. So what we're going to encourage you to do is head over and why don't you give them a link to your website now so they can start getting ready to insta-doodle it. What's the next link to your sure. website? Sure. It's uh, www.metadata.com. Mm-hmm. And metadata mm-hmm. is M-E-D-H-A-D-A-T-A. Well, we're going to pop it in the show notes, guys, but you need to go over. You need to drop yourself into Kelly's world and check out some other things. And if so, we're going to talk about this. Actually, I'm going to stop because I got excited. So I'm going to slow down my breath. Let's talk about the work that you're doing now and how it could be supportive to people because is it just people in the fine state of Colorado that get to hang out with you? Are you doing virtual stuff in this new virtual world? You know, how is your work evolving in the what do they call it? The new new normal, I think they call it. Yeah, our new normal of this yeah. remote environment. Well, I will say I'm excited. I always look for silver linings, you know. Mm-hmm. While in this state that is, you know, now our new normal, um, I found that, yes, we are able to connect with others in a different way. And so while uh, most of my work, again, um, is here, there are others in other states that join my sessions. And so, again, it is, you know, I'm based here in Colorado, but I do connect with others uh, throughout the country because of this beautiful thing we call Zoom. (laughs) <laughs> zoom for the win so let's That's talk right. a bit about, about I, no, carry on sorry i was just gonna say i wish i owned zoom stock <laughs> no nobody saw this one happening though but zoom did it 10x or something ridiculous i don't know what uh, something was. ridiculous yeah it did it did some good numbers and there's lots of um other technology technology companies that are coming up through now so we're looking at some of the summits and virtual events we're going to be doing later this year and into next year. And there's some really cool software that you can do that's like mimics, like actually mimics physical events. So there'd be main stage, there'll be like breakout rooms yes. and hallways, like virtual trade shows, um, all sorts of crazy stuff. There's this stuff going on in this new world. So opportunities abound so let's talk let's talk a bit about what a session like a a, a kelly session might involve would it be strictly one thing combinations are we like someone that's looking to sort of start to explore kelly world what sort of thing would they be looking once they get over the border well, you know, so I do a variety of things and it's really tailoring to a, a given, you know, need of, of an organization. So mm-hmm. my, you know, I do have, you know, broader, you know, kind of programs in terms of specific, you know, specific areas. So really honing in on meditation and mm-hmm. what that looks like, or if people are more geared towards how can I accelerate my, my productivity and my performance, then mm-hmm. you know, 
and uh, gearing the, the topics there. But a typical session for me is to, uh, again, give um, some guidance uh, on a, a certain topic. So for example, uh, last week, you know, my topic and, and a topic I'll deliver to a nonprofit um, tomorrow evening is around grief and how mm. mindfulness can help us with grief. And so- mm-hmm. Um, that te- that session will will play out sort of you know again me talking about grief um, the fact that we are all uh, to some degree one we encounter it just you know in our lives because we lose others uh, or lose things and they cause us grief or this greater pandemic or you know these horrific uh, shootings that uh, we are experiencing yes. right. Mm. I mean, it's it's we're always as as human beings, we're always going to be dealing with what life throws at us. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know how mindfulness can help us manage these emotional storms uh, that mm-hmm. as 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 we as human beings will will all encounter. Rocking it! You heard it here, guys. Get over to M E D H A. D-A-T-A, Metadata. 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 Com. We'll pop it in the show notes. Let's um, start to just bring these pieces together because, again, I love that we've gone into mystical breathing techniques. We've spoken about the soul. We've spoken about the power of meditation and gone into Vedanta and ancient wisdom. But we've kept it real you know i want to just start to, to bring this together though for some we've given a few breathing techniques that people can can play with we've we've given them some insights on how this stuff can really support them but in terms of starting to bring this home what are some thoughts um based on our conversation that you had for some some really implicit follow-up or, or homework that the listeners can do to really start to Im, Im, embody what we've spoken about today well, I think, you know, uh, first, uh, maybe the first thing, and, and I think we it's something that we all are challenged with it, but but really are not aware until we we bring our attention to it, is, is to start to pay attention to what your mind is doing. And mm-hmm. notice that you may find yourself in a nonstop wheel of thoughts. I mean, mm-hmm. I think estimated that we experience something like 60,000 thoughts a day. Um, Many of those, 90% of those are the same thoughts we had yesterday Mm. and find ourselves stuck in patterns of thinking. And, Mm. you know, again, first and foremost is to try to, again, bring ourselves into the present moment, just try Mm. For just a, a period, just one moment, bring yourself in the present. Notice what your mind is doing. Notice mm-hmm. how your body feels. Mm-hmm. And then as you start to become in tune, then you realize again, perhaps where you know you need to make some changes or put some work or effort in. Mm-hmm. Again, getting out of that worry wheel, finding ways to settle the mind, create these spaces of silence. Because when we can, uh, again, create spaces between those thoughts, which many believe and I didn't believe could happen. You know, I just thought it was this <laughs> stop worry wheel about the past or the future. Uh, mm-hmm. And in a, in a grounded, you know, uh, meditation practice, I'm sure you might have realized this as well, is that you hit moments of silence and you hit what is referred to as the gap 
And mm. when we build that silence between our thoughts, therein is creative potential because mm. we can seize that space. We can then have a new thought. We can make the mm. have a new reaction. And that is the, the power that comes with these kind of practices. Well, we have a tradition here. Some mic drop, we crystal drop. So the crystal is dropped on that one. <laughs> what does that mean? I love crystals like, and gems myself. You know, they say mic drop as in like someone oh. just said something amazing. We do crystal drop. So. I love it. <laughs> Taking that one worldwide. Kelly, it's been absolutely fabulous. This has been, you've got a great, really chill, soothing energy. Even your voice is quite musical thank you for thank coming in and blessing the podcast today guys you heard it head over to the website we'll pop it again in the show notes um social media do you do the social media thing i do yes uh, yeah. instagram yes yeah uh, yeah yeah, LinkedIn. yeah yeah you got okay it. well we'll pop those links in the show notes as well so people can hang out with you but do go over to the website as Kelly shared, you don't have to be in colorado to take part in the yamini goodness be sure to do it yourself any parting words from you, Kelly? Thank you, Daniel. Just uh, it's so grateful. It's been a pleasure to connect with you today and to talk about, again, a, a passion of, of mine. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. This, this has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Remember that you can consciously choose a more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven life. You now know that it can be one that is balanced life into work purpose. Fill yourself up. Be in service so you can be of service. But mostly just remember this thing we call life isn't all that serious. None of us are getting out of it anyway. So until next time, guys, keep dreaming with your eyes open and uh, do like, subscribe, share, and all the other things that I'm supposed to tell you to do. You know how it goes. Till next time, guys. Bye, bye, bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Duo with Dan with your host, Daniel McGenna. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit dmpotv.com. We'll catch you on the next episode of Do It With Dan.